0: Bustering Blue Duck Station. Mount Ruapehu. Ka ria ria. In the tree.
1: Dan Steele's Blue Duck Station on the Fanganui River yeah. is a working farm and tourist business. He regularly shares spectacular videos of life on the land.
0: Paradise.
1: But a recent post on Facebook revealed another side of paradise, the woes of wool. Here's host of The Country, Jamie Mackay, talking about it.
2: Can hardly give it away. In fact, we're dumping some, using it as mulch in the gardens. Direct cost of shearing, $65,000. Price offered for the resulting wool clip, $9,600. Net loss, $55,400. Not a sustainable operation. Who would like some wool? Thus, they're trying to give it away. No one wants it. I'm
1: Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, why is wool worthless?
2: Back in the 1950s, when we talked about the Korean wool boom, wool was our number one export. That's what made us rich as a nation. That was the years of uh, milk and honey in New Zealand. Well, that ship has sailed.
0: Look, it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I put a post up on 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 Facebook, I guess, so and that Facebook post went all around the world. It got translated into Chinese and the UK, Um, I couldn't believe I just put something up and saying, hey, this is what my sharing is costing me. This is what I'm getting from wool. It's um, not sustainable. We're trying to work out how to make our backcountry businesses more sustainable. And it's it's becoming more and more of a concern. And it should be a pretty big concern for New Zealand in that rising costs and level or decreasing prices we're getting from our produce, being wool, honey, lamb, avocados whatever the case it may be it makes it a really tough business and and we're seeing outcomes such as many many big stations getting sold to monoculture pine trees with offshore and onshore investment that are uh, actually bad for the economy in the long term bad for the ecology and very bad for the community so we're um, we're losing a lot of um, a lot of our heritage and it's it's more than just wool it's it's a it's a pretty big factor so I was doing some numbers and I thought, you know, I'm paying the shearers uh, good money, five bucks a sheep now, and they, and they deserve it, you know, but it's more than just the sharing costs. There's so many other costs involved. So I soon rattled up a cost of over $10 a sheep uh, with the dipping and the dagging and bits and pieces. And I thought, hang on, this is this is getting out of hand. And and my last offers from the, one of the auctions was 80 cents a kilo for good use wool. And I thought, I've got to... I've got one hundred and fifty bales of this stuff to sell at the moment, and I just thought, what's this costing me and and what's my potential income at these low offers? I'm not alone here, of course, there's there's you know millions of hectares of new Zealanders in in in, in similar situations to me um, and and it just really doesn't add up. So
1: you ran the numbers and what you ended up with in the pocket was less than the cost of of sharing the sheep and and getting it to market.
0: Oh, oh, very much probably eight out of the last 10 years. I've lost money on wool. There's been the odd respite where the wool price jumped a few years back and there was a lot of talk around, oh, this wool's having a resurgence. Look at this, you know. We we, we knew it was gonna have a resurgence. And I looked at the sort of world markets a little bit, and the only reason the price of wool had um essentially doubled in twelve months was because there was a shortage of cotton around the world. And um so the cotton price had jumped. And wool had followed. Hmm. As soon as the cotton cotton had a good season the next year and was everywhere again, the wool price crashed again.
1: Can you take me through the process? How does it get from the sheep's back to uh, a made-up product? What What are the steps?
0: Look, there's a lot to do with getting the wool. Growing on the sheep's back to start with, everything's um, trying to kill sheep in the backcountry from wild pigs eating them when they're born through to um, you know fly strike. And, and wool creates a few animal health problems. So you've got to dag your sheep to keep them clean and you've got to dip them and you've got to prepare them for shearing. And then you get the shearing gang in. You've got to get the sheep dry and get the right weather conditions, get the shearing gang in. And we just generally sell the sheep, the wool, from there and have nothing more to do with it, essentially, we we press it into bales in the shed and you're aiming for a 180-kilogram bale and you've got a, a group of people in the shed that are sorting the wool, the, you know, the wool handlers, they're sorting it as best they can. So you've got your, your good clean lines, which are going to fetch your best money, which is your A-grade wool. From there, we sell it through either um, the auction system or we sell it in the shed. Uh, we're selling it to Kells Wool and Napier at, at the moment quite a bit. Sometimes we use our local guys, Elko, uh, whoever's really got the best money and for the best reasons, and it, it gets it gets um, sold to the highest bidder, which might be um, an Indian wool uh, manufacturer, you know, that they, they clean it and scour it, and then they card it and turn it into uh, a fibre that can be spun or, you know, turned into a wool jersey or a carpet or whatever the end case may be. And so, yeah, we sell it in the shed as a greasy price with the grease and the lanolin and the vegetable matter and all those good things included.
2: Wool is everywhere in my home, in my walls, on my floor, in my bedding, in my clothing. Philippa
1: Wright picks up pretty much where Dan leaves his wool – And we're talking about strong wool here, not the finer merino, which makes up about 20% of the wool grown. Philippa's a broker based in Hawke's Bay. She also
2: sells wool pillows and has even dabbled in exporting. We go to the farms, the likes of um, Dan. We're slightly different. Dan obviously sells his wool in the shed and then once it's on the trucker, he has no ownership of it, it's gone. 99% of the wool that I handle is sold on behalf so I pick up the wool from the wool grower I take it to store we sort it weigh it test it and group it you know and a lot of people don't have enough to make one whole bale or something so we we group those wools and put them into um, like lines we catalog it and then we take it to sale And we sell um, out of Napier tr- traditionally, aside from what's happened with the flooding, um, but we sell it through the Napier auction system. The exporters or the buyers come to Napier and visibly view our wool. That night they go online and, and bid for it. Whoever buys it then instructs us, um, and it goes to either the scour or the dumpers,
1: the scours remove the grease and dirt from the fleece. The dumpers compress the wool for shipping. A lot of steps, and the wool is still a raw product, a long way off being turned into carpet or clothing. And remember, backcountry farmer Dan Steele has already lost money on it. So is
2: anyone making money from it?
1: No, no. No one?
2: No. No. Well, you think about it. If I'm only paying 20 cents for fribs or bellies or less than that, it's costing me more than that to process it. And then out of that 20 cents, I've got to give the farmer something. That's at the lowest end. And we're the same as the farmers. We've been hit with um, compliance and increased freight is killing everybody. But, you know, everything's gone up. Everything and then we've got to pay more for um, wages to to keep your staff and and just to keep up with what's fair in, in today's world. Well, if you could find someone that's making money, introduce me, I'll shake their hands.
0: Peaceful, feels like spring up under the cliffs, chasing sheep. Just another day at Blue Duck.
1: So you've been losing money from wool what for most of the last decade? Are you making money from the meat?
0: Oh, we're probably break even on the meat, to be fair. But and by the time you subsidize the loss on the wool, we're you know, we're probably break even or, or a bit of a loss. You know, red meat lamb has been going, um mediumly well over the last you know few years but by the time you have to subsidize your sharing you're probably losing money here a lot of farmers are going to woolless breeds now or shedding sheep you've got some breeds of sheep that will naturally lose their wool so you don't have to share them and so that people are uh, jumping into that left right and center as we speak so the wool industry sheep numbers are plummeting in New Zealand anyway and have been for um, a decade or two. But now with people going to shedding sheep, the, the, the shearing industry and that heritage industry of in New Zealand is getting smaller and smaller, and it's probably not far on the brink of almost collapse. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, unless you've got a, I'm a crossbred sheep, you know, it's Romney, Perendale, and so they're bred for meat and wool. We're a dual-purpose sheep there, and the wool quality is sort of you know carpet wool. Really, it's a little bit too coarse for fine um, clothing like your merino wools of the some of the colder um, and drier climates of the South Island. So we're not the specialty sort of icebreaker clothing wool. We're regenerating a lot of bush out here, so uh, we're not the highest quality in the wool, but we're um, we're still pretty standard for what most of New Zealand's wool croppers.
1: Why I just wonder why you've still got sheep really. I mean, it just doesn't sound like a good story.
0: You're dead right. It's not really, but we love the land and we love the rural community. I guess we love the heritage and living out here like we do. And traditionally, I live in the sort of the Bridgeton Owe country, you know, of the Whanganui River, the last frontier of New Zealand farming, where they, del- they really developed these land farms out of the bush on the back of uh, hopefully sustainable wool prices. And, and wool was going to be their main commodity putting it on the Wanganui river boats and, and sending it back down to Wanganui on actually on the river itself. And a lot of those farms failed and they were destined to fail. They're too remote and we're, we're a long way from anywhere, but um, it's a bloody neat place to be. So we've got a hundred and some years of tradition and heritage behind us. Uh, and what else do we use the land for? Apart from selling it to monoculture pine trees, we've got to come up with more sustainable land uses to, to, uh, to take over from what we've already got. And look, good, well-run sheep systems on good hill country can be a pretty profitable business. But mine is hard hill country and very remote and very extensive. So I'm trying to diversify in every way I can. But I still have to maintain a diverse range of operations, which is, includes wool and meat at the moment. I mean, I've diversified into tourism. What happens? We have a global pandemic, and there's no tourists come to New Zealand for mm. three years in a row. You know, I've diversified into honey, but honey's facing some of the same problems as wool, um, albeit it's largely driven by oversupply in New Zealand at the moment. But and you know, another great product for backcountry New Zealand, but it's uh, it's got a low price to to the landholder in New Zealand at the moment, which is an issue. So it's about being diversified. I'm dropping my sheep numbers. In hindsight, I should have got out of wool 10 years ago. But there's so many exciting things that you can see just in the pipeline of wool's future. I mean, I guess you might talk about the health benefits of wool and the environmental problems of its main competitor being synthetic materials, you know. The biggest comment on the post I put on on, uh, Facebook about the problems of my wool the other day, one of the biggest things people are annoyed at is that even the New Zealand government wouldn't back the health benefits of New Zealand wool and has gone and and done things like put carpet contracts to put carpet into New Zealand primary schools with synthetic carpet
3: It's a carpet burn that's left fed farmers smarting. The Ministry of Education has contracted a global manufacturer, Millican, to supply and install carpet tiles in nearly 800 small and remote schools. But here's the rub for Kiwi wool farmers. The tile carpet is dyed nylon. Some people
0: said, oh, we have to use synthetics because some children are allergic to wool. Well, my point is that The odd child might be slightly allergic to wool, but wool's got really good health benefits. My point is that Mother Earth is allergic to plastic. And if you're using synthetic carpets, you are feeding Mother Earth microplastics, nanoplastics.
3: The ministry says it's fully recyclable, exceeds its carbon footprint goals, and it met health and safety and fire standards and outperformed wool carpet tile providers across its three main procurement measures.
0: But are those externalities, all those costs being accounted for? Because I strongly doubt they are. Wool is a sustainable thing that grows and you share it and the sheep go out and it regrows. It's a pretty uh, renewable resource.
3: Federated Farmers Southland Meat and Wool Chairman Dean Rabbidge is not impressed.
0: We're pretty insulted, to be blunt. We've got a fantastic product here that we grow probably right outside the front door of those schools and it's just been um, neglected to be looked at from the government and it's just another kick in the guts for, for wool growers at the moment, to be honest.
1: What has gone wrong here? I mean, is it is it that um, we haven't done a good job of promoting wool or marketing it? Is it just it's way too expensive?
0: I don't know that we've done a, a, a terrible job of marketing it, but the the synthetic industry has been a huge powerhouse of the world. Uh, I got told when I was young, my father told me about a meeting in New Zealand, I think in the late seventies or early eighties, where a group of big group of farmers, wool producers, were told, "Hey guys, they got these new synthetic carpets. You know, they're going to make carpet out of plastic and oil, basically." and um, and it's going to be a competitor to you. And they were basically laughed out of the room by the wool growers and producers. Ah, Jesus, don't even think about that. Who's going to use synthetic carpet in your house? And it was only, I believe, 20 years later, by the early 2000s, in New Zealand, 96% of carpet was synthetic. So wool carpet had been blown out of the industry by a big, powerful global powerhouse.
1: Back when wool was our biggest export earner, the industry was run by the Wool Board, funded by a grower's levy. The board was scrapped in 2001 and hasn't been replaced. In a story on the industry last year, my newsroom colleague Nikki Mando wrote about Campaign for Wool's three-year strategy aimed at changing the fortunes of strong wool, promoting it as a material of choice for climate-conscious consumers. And there are other organisations, including RONS, or Wool Research Organisation of New Zealand, but Dan and Philippa both want to bring back a single representative body.
2: Isn't it interesting that people like yourselves have to come to people like me? I'm a broker. I'm not a. I'm not a, a marketer. I'm not a an entrepreneur. I'm, you know, I'm not any of those things. But you know, the New Zealand wool industry must be the only commodity in the world, I think, that hasn't got an an overriding um, body to to represent it. You know, if you go to Australia, you go to AWI. If you go to the UK, you go to the Wool Board. You if you go to um, Africa, they've got a board. New Zealand hasn't got anything and, you know, you you look at uh, Australia, they're collecting something like 70 million a year and half of that comes from the government. We could collect, you know, easily 5 million without really hurting anybody and then I'm sure we'd get better recognition from the government because, you know, we'd be seen as an industry working for itself and we're definitely you know, working towards a a better future. I mean, there's huge amounts of work being done behind the scenes by different groups. And we all want to work together, but there's no income. And without an income, it's impossible. So you think a, a
1: representative body would be one good thing. What else needs to happen for things to get better for you?
2: Yeah, to get that body, though, you have to have a defined stream of funding. And unfortunately, it has to come to me, for this is my opinion, it has to come from the grower. Because if you start collecting from everyone, the grower ends up paying twice. So we've got to have a, a, a form of funding that's compulsory, I think. But we also need um, people like Ron's to come into the world of the living again and actually. They've got huge amounts of um, information of developments that were done years ago when the wool board was in existence. They need to be put in an area where people can create new uses that are right for today. People are doing fabulous things with
1: wool at the moment, aren't they? In New Zealand, we just don't hear so much about it. I mean, you've got your pillows and then there's Wise Wool, which is doing great stuff. I'm sure there's a lot more out there too.
2: There's a lot of people doing blankets and mattress inners and there's insulation and, you know, like we hear about the surfboards and the shoes. But it's it's pretty New Zealand-focused and we're not going to make any difference by selling in New Zealand, you know, because we've only got 5 million people, so there's probably only 2 million that can afford to shop. We have to get to the Northern Hemisphere where 80% of the population are. So, yes, I do believe that the younger generation or this next generation are going to be much more aware of it. And I I think they're much more agile than we were. They've they've got a handle on technology that we just simply don't have. I think they'll come up with those new uses. You know, they'll understand that they're not going to make it and try to sell it cheap. They're going to make it and try to put it up there as a truly important, valuable item.
1: The farmers are losing money from it. And if they're looking at getting out, either with Mm. breeding wool out of their sheep or getting rid of sheep altogether, will we ever be in a situation where we won't
2: have any sheep in New Zealand of meaningful size? That's the true concern. And I've just been talking to somebody this morning from overseas, and he was saying that's their concern as well, that we get to a point that we haven't got enough quantity to be of any interest in the um, bigger world of wool. We've already gone from 70 million to 23 million sheep, and I would suggest after what's happened in the North Island that we're going to be less than that, because I don't think we've still seen the full result of the tree's And the floods, you know, with fencing, there's a lot of people that are farming in in big, big paddocks now. You know, they haven't, um, they're not going to be able to farm sheep in some places. It's really relevant to be talking about it. And it's really relevant to be thinking about how do we create an environment for these entrepreneurs so mm. yeah and I don't think it's I don't think it's at the end of the road I think it's going through something pretty terrible but there's a lot of things happening in the world that's caused that but also what's happened in the world has given it a great reason to reinvent itself.
0: We need to tie it I believe right into the New Zealand story of uh, just one of our products that Ties back to New Zealand, leading the way towards Trinity to Free, leading the way towards healthier oceans, rivers, and, and forests. To me, I think it comes down to uh, differentiating New Zealand and, and um, adding value to everything we've got. And wool has got a great story in that makeup.
1: Dan, great to talk to you. Can I just ask you, lastly, um, has anybody come and
0: picked up your wool for free? <laughs> Look, uh, I've had so many offers of. People wanting to help with the wool, from artists wanting some to a lady in Invercargill who wants to make her own wool jumper, you know, but I've got zero chance of posting three kilos of wool all around the country to uh, to people who want three kilo- kilos of wool for free. But um, I've got a lot of people to follow up with who do want to help out, who are trying to use wool in productive ways. So do you
1: feel more uh, optimistic about the future of wool after the response that you got?
0: Slightly. Slightly. <laughs> There's some really exciting things with wool. You know, we might be able to we might be able to crack into the world makeup market with wool. You know, turning it back into keratin. It's a great story for New Zealand. If women knew where their lipstick actually came from, from the hooves and horns of animals out of China and Africa, no one would wear lipstick. You can make lipstick out of wool, but um, I've been excited about the the uses of wool for quite some time, but it hasn't transferred through to the farmer's back pocket yet.
1: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Bend, Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Dan Steele and Philippa Wright. Kakite ano.